There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome, everyone, to a brand new series of motorsport podcasts. Many of you will have listened to our Engineering Formula One Driver Series with the likes of Patrick Head, Adrian Newey, and Gordon Murray earlier this year. I'm delighted to bring you the next set of recordings. This time, we turn our attention to the Scuderia, the Formula One team that's so famous, it's simply referred to as the team. Founded in 1939 and a constant on the F1 grid since that first world championship in 1950, Ferrari is the team that every driver wants to race for. 221 pole positions, 253 fastest laps, 238 Grand Prix victories, and let's not forget the 16 Formula One World Championships. For all its success and wonderful history though, Ferrari has always been a tricky place to work. Many drivers have left or been unceremoniously kicked out after little more than a season. What is Ferrari like to drive for? And what of Enzo himself? In this series of podcasts, we speak to the men who know best, those lucky few who have driven for Ferrari during their Formula One careers. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Motorsport Podcast with 10-time Grand Prix winner Gerhard Berger. Now, this is part of the Driving for Ferrari series, and while I want to talk about the likes of Senna, Benetton, the DTM, the current state of Formula One, we'll be looking specifically at Gerhard's time at Ferrari. Now, you'll also notice that we're doing this via, via Zoom. Now, uh, this truly is motorsport in its 96th year, um, jumping into the 21st century. So we've got Alan Hyde in the background, making sure that you can hear us. So thank you, Alan. And I hope you all enjoy your first sort of motorsport Zoom experience. Gerhard, thank you so much for joining us. Um, for sure. So much to talk about, uh, even just concentrating on your, your time at Ferrari. Um, so we might as well just jump straight in. You were quite a sort of a young Formula One. Well, you were quite a new Formula One driver by the time you went to Ferrari. You know, you had you'd done three years, and then bang, you were you were off to Maranello. Can you remember when you first got that call? Of course, I can remember, and uh, I have to say it was really I, I, I was just entering from uh, motorsport because I had just uh, three years before I entered Formula One. I had about forty races done. And I had the possibility to go and race Formula One. Uh, what was for me a great surprise. I, 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 it was not in me to make calculation, but suddenly as I found myself after, after doing a, a one year Alpha Suit, two years Formula Three, uh, and a half year Formula Three, I find myself in Formula One. And then I was in Formula One and, um, and, and, and I had the luck to go into Aeros with Jackie Oliver in the first full year, uh, who was a great teacher together with Alan Rees. And, uh, and I had the chance to move from there to Benetton and win my first race and getting at the same time already a first call of Ferrari. So everything felt like uh, 
just arriving in motorsports and sitting in, in, in Ferrari. And I, I remember when, when Marco Piccinini called me after the Imola race and said, well, you know, Mr. Ferrari would like to talk with you. Would you, would you mind to, to come and visit us in Maranello? And I said, of course, that's what I would love to do. But I was kind of surprised. But at the same time, the telephone was ringing, I remember. And uh, Jackie Stewart was calling me and saying, well, can we talk with you about Turrell? And, and so and I was already in contact with Ron Dennis, with McLeod. So everything happened very fast. But when I got the call of Ferrari, emotionally, this immediately catch me. You, you obviously met Enzo, um, but, you know, obviously we'll talk about his death the, the, the year after. Actually, probably, you know, maybe perhaps first met him in 86. He was still a very kind of influential figure at Ferrari right up until the end, wasn't he? He was, you know, he really was pulling all the strings. He was still until the end. Maybe the last year, not so much anymore, but because he was already uh, uh, ill and... and, and uh, it was maybe a bit more difficult for him, but when I arrived in Ferrari, yes, he was fully onto it, and was his. He was the decision maker. He was the guy what uh, what thought about it. He uh, he had his clear ideas, and uh, yeah, it was up to him. Even if Marco Vicinini was his uh, team manager at the time, and Piero Lardi, as his son, was kind of the side of uh, Marco Vicinini, but in the end of the day, when I came to Ferrari and I visited Ferrari, everything was. Uh, was done directly with Enzo. Mm. And because the 87 season, that first season, you did have quite a lot of mechanical problems, but you won the last two rounds. Winning, I mean, you obviously, you won a Grand Prix before that, but winning four Ferrari, it's, it's different, isn't it? Oh, yeah. I mean, for me, it was already arriving in Ferrari, it was already so special, but, but you know, I was young and, uh, and, and I was very happy about it, but... The day after I've signed, I, I took it as uh, as normal. And um, but then when I arrived in Ferrari, yes, we've been a bit struggling in the beginning of the season just to get certain things right. But then from mid-season on, I think we we've been the most competitive combination myself with Ferrari to win races. We didn't win the races because about some small mistakes, about uh, uh, technical things. But I remember in Estoril, I was leading until the last lap. I was uh, I was uh, fighting with Alan Prost for the for the win, and then in the last lap I spun, so I I I, I finished just second. In Yerez was a race I I was stuck in traffic, but actually we've been already quickest car around there, and then we won Adelaide and Suzuka. So I mean it was a clear year. I think for for it was Nelson what won the championship at the, in in eighty seven. Um, it was a clear Williams Honda year if I remember well, but help me if, yeah. I, if I mix it up. But anyway, I think we've been, from mid-season on, we've been clearly uh, a championship fighter. We've been just a bit too far back on the points. And so for us, it was clear the year after is the year. And because I thought you didn't start racing until you were 21. And I seem, to, I seem to remember you saying somewhere that, you know, a lot of the people from where you live, um, you know, we're sort of, you know, what on earth is this guy doing, starting racing age 21? You know, once you've got into that Ferrari Formula One car and then won races with them, that must have been quite a satisfying, <laughs> satisfying thing to do with, um, you know, anyone who doubted you. Should, should I be honest? I still cannot believe it today. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I think so, it happens on that. So I have to laugh sometimes when fathers are already 
starting to draw down the way how the sun has to go to Ferrari from uh, being kindergarten, <laughs> exiting <laughs> kindergarten to the school and knowing already karting at this year, karting then at this year, then with this team, then Formula 2, Formula 3, whatever. Yeah. Uh, I think you can do it in a different way. Yeah. Well, and also all the many millions of, of pounds that would go towards um, trying to get to Ferrari now. Um, it's funny because... Not it, now. It was at the time also, you know, it was it was a very difficult thing to be one of Ferrari drivers being always something very special, you know. Yeah. it's a, Obviously, Ferrari has been in the sport, um, you know, since the dawn of the World Championship in 1950, you know, and, and before then. Um, it's won 16 World Championships. You know, it's had some of the most famous drivers racing for it. But, you know, there are other teams, there's Williams, there's McLaren that have been around for a very long time, won championships. What is it about Ferrari that gives it this, it's, it has an aura, doesn't it? Well, I think Ferrari came from, the road car side of Ferrari was always connected with racing. And it's one, I feel it as one unit. And, and it was the first company, the Enzo Ferrari was the first man that says, well, my my race car has to be a road car. It has to be a, a racing car, racing road car on the street. And the other way around, uh, give the name to the, to, to the famous name to the race cars. So these two, these two sides bumped each up all the time. And, and it, it, came, it came the most famous and, 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 and the company with the most image in the car industry over all these years. But this was very much supported by racing. So I, I, I think the original idea of him was just perfect. Today, more companies try to do it. But at the time, I think he, he, it was, was a very wise thing to say, well, I have to be successful in the race, then I can pump up my brand in the, on the road. Yeah. It's, it's funny because motorsport has this enormous online shop with thousands and thousands of products and kind of books to memorabilia and everything like that. But it's, it's always the Ferrari stuff that sells the fastest. And I think there's a, I was looking this morning, there's a 1998 Schumacher signed helmet. And I guarantee you that'll be gone in a matter of days. It's, it's just incredible that, that one manufacturer can have such an, an amazing pull from around the world. There's, you know, even people who've never been to Maranello or Formula One race, it's, they're just absolutely besotted by it. Yeah, it's everywhere. But even when you bring a T-shirt to a child or something, uh, or a cap, you know, you are you are very famous if you if you bring the Ferrari cap or Ferrari <laughs> yeah. T-shirt. But yeah. the same, you know, when you try to be clever in historic cars, of course, there are some McLarens, there's some some Bugattis. Uh, uh, but in general, with a Ferrari, you never get wrong. Uh, the 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 price uh, increasing year by year. It's 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 nearly clear. Yeah. Now, I wanted to talk a little bit about the 88 season, um, obviously, which was a huge season for, for many reasons, uh, not least of Enzo's death um, in August that year. It was also a season completely dominated by McLaren winning 15 of the 16 races. However, one G Berger um, did win in his Ferrari at Monza, I think it was four weeks after Enzo died. Um, yeah. In terms of pivotal wins or important wins, that must be... Um, just, just talk me through kind of how that, you know, after Enzo's death and then, you know, winning that race at Monza. I mean, it was quite funny anyway, because as you say, if McLaren won every race, it was very dominating. Well, let's step even, uh, go even back one other step. Why did he been so dominating? When obviously Ayrton and Alan 
two top two top guys, maybe the best guys in the car. Uh, they did a fantastic chassis and they had an extremely strong engine. But why did they have such a strong engine as we've been in the end of 87, as competitive as they were, or maybe even more competitive? But then the winter was coming and there was a regulation change. The Boba valve was introduced. So, uh, so the engine was cut off a, a bit on power uh, for cost reasons, for reliability, for safety reasons, whatever. And, and they introduced this Boba valve. Uh, uh, that was uh, to to blow off boost, so so the turbo pressure wasn't going up anymore to five five and a half bar five and a half bar boost, and so on. So we basically reduced through this popper valve the power of engines cut, and uh, in the winter we all went testing, and we never had this popper valve on our engine. And I always say to our engineers, say, well, everything is fine, this is working well, but why, why do we don't have this popper valve on the engine? So like, yeah, don't worry. We have it on the desk bench, we understand it completely, everything is fine, you're gonna, you know, you, you're gonna be fine with it. So we didn't really test over the winter under the proper terms. We, 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 we took this popper valve not in our center of trying to understand it. Honda did the opposite. They've been just working on this popper valve, and I think they found a press time, a find at the time, a way to overpressure the valve in the popper valve. So being able to keep still being a bit higher on boost, and uh, and it took us half season until we, we start to understand this. But so we came in '88, and we've been completely surprised the performance of these engines, and obviously with this combination, as I said before, it was winning every race. And it looked like they win all the races all the season, and we all have no chance. I finished regularly as third behind the two McLarens, but still it was very, very frustrating. And before we went to Monza, and Safari died, and I visited uh, Ferrari and went through the workshop, and I was with Marco Piccinini and Piero Lardi, and, and we spoke, and they said to me, Dad, what are we going to do in Monza? And uh, one of them said, we'll finish third like usual because they took me clan. I said, no, Monza, we're going to win. And they say, oh, if you win, you can have the car. I said, okay, make shake hands. So I went to Monza, win the race, got the car onto the trailer, brought it with me home. So it was, it was actually quite funny. It was very surprising that we won the race. But we've been not far off. It was, in Monza, it was... Getting tough for Ayrton, I was on his back, I think three seconds behind him, and I started to make pressure, and I was with fuel okay, and I understood that Ayrton was a bit tight on, on, on fuel. And, uh, and I started to put pressure on, and Ayrton knows with the fuel he had still left, he had no, he, he could, he, he was safe, but he could not lose anywhere, anytime. So then he came to back Marcus, and, uh, and Julius Lester was one of them, and I think it was just on the stage where I said, well, it's better I get by as quick as possible, otherwise I have Gerd in my neck. And, and this didn't work out, and then, then I was able to win the race. It's, it's funny, there is nowhere better to be than Italy if you are a Ferrari driver winning races. But I think it's also fair to say there's nowhere worse to be than Italy if you're a Ferrari driver and not winning races. <laughs> the Italian... Yeah. The Italians and also the press as well. Was it, did you ignore all the press? Because the, the Italian press no, is really you vocal. know, everybody talks always about the press. I, I went through difficult times in Ferrari. I mean, when I arrived, Ferrari was for a long period not winning any race. So 
I was lucky I could I could then stop this period and win it. But still, I had also time what was very very difficult from a performance side with Ferrari. But I never had a problem with the Italian press. Mm. Um, I dealt with them in a very natural way. I, I always had a feeling they liked me. I liked them because, and I I, I wasn't I, I wasn't going in too deep into the press stuff. First, I didn't speak Italian anyway. I didn't understand. So maybe they read a lot of bullshit, but uh, <laughs> I couldn't read it. But so it didn't make me angry and I was always friendly with them. But I think overall, they, they treated me always extremely well. Yeah. Because then moving into the sort of the, the 89 season, you were joined by, by Nigel Mansell. Um, you'd had a couple of seasons with Michele. What, what was it like having Mansell come in? Because he's quite a... a a forceful character, I think, is probably the, the right phrase. <laughs> yeah, you're so polite. <laughs> <laughs> a, a delicate touch with words, yeah. I know, I know. You know <laughs> yeah, you're too close to this area. You need to be very political correct. <laughs> no, that was okay. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Michele was a real gentleman, very smooth, very, very fine guy. Uh, obviously, Nigel had much more killing instinct. So, it was, for me, it was more difficult with Nigel than with Michele. And, uh, but not in a personal way. Personally, uh, I always had a good relationship with him and I still have it. But on the race track, so qualifying was okay. But in, in race trim, he had extremely good race craft. And unfortunately, in, in, in 89, he had a car where the front, the, the geometry of the front suspension in a certain way gave an extremely tough steering, hard steering. And I was struggling with my power in my hands. And Nigel had, power, had hands like an elephant. So he, he or like, <laughs> very, very strong hands. Uh, and and, and he'd been physically always extremely tough, very strong. And uh, so in the race, it was quite, difficult with him to, to beat him or to be ahead of him or to be with him. But I think we managed a season where one time he was in front, one time I was in front and, and, and we had a reasonable good relationship and, and we kept the relationship until today. I, I, I see him very seldom, but I'm happy if I see him. Yeah, because Bansell was famous for sort of winding Patrese up at Williams, you know, in the early 90s. And I think um, every time he came into the pits, he, he changed all his active rides uh, settings so that when Tracy looked over the cockpit to try and copy his active ride. So there was a lot of games. Were there, were there games between you and him or was it fairly straightforward? Straightforward. I didn't look what he was doing. <laughs> yeah, well, that makes it easier. Because um, after... When that's you, right. That's, it's a bit like Mr. Italian Press. I didn't read what he was writing, so I had no problem. Yeah, so it wasn't bad. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. The, when did you hear that your contract wasn't being renewed at Ferrari? Because End of 89, you obviously then went and you basically did a swap and went to McLaren with, with Prost coming to Ferrari. Was, was... It was the other way around. They won't oh, really? me. They won't kid. They was fighting for me, but I was ready to go. So I think together with Nicky, me and Nicky was the only two drivers what uh, left Ferrari. What was always a, a kind of uh, thing what, what is not allowed to do, but that's what I did. And I did it twice, you know. Yeah. Uh, tw <laughs> uh, twice. Uh, twice. But... You know, it was nothing bad. I was just three years with Ferrari. And I felt a bit tired of just seeing Ferrari. As much as I liked them, been my family, but 
on the other side, I said, I want, I, want, I want to see something others. And, and I had a, a nice offer from Ron. And McLaren was at the time also on the top and, 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 um, and the most successful team at the time. So I changed to, to, to McLaren simply because I was getting, wanted some new experience. And I remember at the time when I told to Ferrari that I leave, uh, uh, Gianni Agnelli sent uh, Luca Montezemolo from Torino to come with me and, 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 and to try to convince me to stay. But I felt just to do something different. And then I, I went to Ferrari, uh, to McLaren. And after three years, I felt I'm missing Ferrari. So that's why I went back. <laughs> and after three years again, I said, well, enough is enough again. <laughs> it's, it's, it's very, as you mentioned there, it's very, very rare for a driver to not only leave Ferrari once, but, but be able to come back and, and then leave again. Now, if you're looking for more Ferrari content, then you may well be interested in Motorsport's latest publication. Ferrari, from race to road, celebrates the journey of the world's most famous car brand and its unique place in motor racing history. Using Motorsport's unmatched archive of stories and photographs, we trace the Ferrari story from its early days under Enzo right up to date with interviews with current F1 star Charles Leclerc and F1 team boss Mattia Binotto. Along the way, we celebrate some of the all-time classic race cars, including the wonderful 1975 312T and races such as the Targa Florio. Plus, we test some of the greatest Ferrari road cars. Illustrated with world-class photographs and wonderful writing, Ferrari from race to road is a must-have for all fans of the mark. It's on sale now in all good news agents, or you can buy it via the Motorsport website, which is motorsportmagazine.com. We've got, uh, we've got lots of readers' questions in, um, which I'll come to in a bit, but a lot of them um, are basically screaming, tell us the Ayrton Senna stories. Um, now, no. <laughs> some of these are very well known, but you, I'm had, tired of it. <laughs> you had a very interesting relationship with him, though, because I think, did you say that you taught him how to laugh and he showed you how to drive? Was, is that fair? No, that's not. But uh, no, <laughs> I mean, first... I didn't have a special relationship. I had just a normal relationship with him. Uh, what came a special friendship through a normal relation. Uh, and it was simply, it's maybe a bit my nature too, you know. I, inclu I in, in all my career, I never had a problem with a teammate. Mm. And why I didn't have, most probably because naturally, I, I, I always had a very good speed. Uh, and I could handle my teammates through my natural speed. And obviously when I decide to leave Ferrari and go into McLaren, I know Ayrton is there, but I say to myself, oh, well, Ayrton or no Ayrton, it's, it's just another driver. As I experienced already many, and I saw them usually uh, having a problem with me, not I'm having a problem with them. And, mm. and most probably gonna be the same here. But then when I start racing with him, I saw that he has also the natural speed but he has also done already not 40 races as I did until I get for to Formula One. He did maybe like through karting 400 races. So he saw the sort of starting grid already 400 times instead of my 40 times. He'd been more disciplined than me. He'd been ha more hardworking than me. And he, 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 for him, life, life was just racing. And for me, it was life was racing and life was also having a nice party. And uh, so obviously, he looked to me because he could see that my, my day was split in two 
one in the day erasing one in the night having the body and 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 he joined it sometimes and 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 i always i always been nice friendly with him and obviously i tried very very hard and that's why i don't like to go so much into the joke side and to this discussion because in the end of the day i i realized first time there's a driver who i cannot beat in a way as i did other beat other drivers just okay break a bit later or, 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 or be a bit early on the throttle. So I studied him very, very careful, everything. What is he doing? What is he, where is he better? And, and, and I just realized that he has more experience, he's more per, he has more perfection, he's more disciplined and so on. And I didn't, I didn't try to find the problem in him. I said, yeah, it's your problem. It's not his problem. Move your arms. Or, or, but I could see that it was just, not possible to beat him but I did not try to to politically to disturb his 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 success because I saw well it's the only way is get quicker yourself or get better yourself and then you do the job or otherwise you're not better than him yeah and I think he realized this and I think he appreciated a lot because I think he, before he had a couple of teammates with Alan and we know all the stories where, where he got a very tough time and he, he'd been very sensitive on it. And I think for him it was a big release to have a driver what respecting his performance to the maximum. Mm. Do you think, because, you know, you mentioned it there that you, you love the racing part of it, but you also love going to the parties in the evening. Do you think you've, you know, you were also talking about the fact that you studied every kind of element of the way Senna drove and, and how he did things. Do you think you have a sort of misrepresented, um, you know, in terms of, do, do people look back at you in the wrong way and don't take you seriously enough? Because you obviously have enormous talent. You go out and you beat Senna, you know, you out qualifying and things like that. Um, do you think people focus too much on the partying? And do you think that sort of slightly takes away from, from what you did on track? Yeah, you know, I got, everybody in Formula One gets a little bit of an image, you know? Mm. Menzel was always crying. Um, the uh, uh, Damien was the gentleman. Um, uh, Alan was the professor. The Adam was the perfection, and me was the the, the playboy. Yeah. So right or wrong, we everybody got somehow uh, an image, and uh, and I played my image. Because it fitted to me, <laughs> and when I when I studied Adam and when I studied what he did. Most probably I did it in the bar in the evening and that maybe was wrong. I should have <laughs> done it maybe girls. in the track with the <laughs> <laughs> um, the Am I right in thinking that he, Ayrton used to talk to you about the fact that he did one day want to go to Ferrari, but it's obviously when he was alive and there were opportunities, the car just wasn't you know, where it needed to be. Was that true? Kind of, yeah. Uh, Ayrton says, or let's say, Ayrton, Ayrton said, Ayrton knows first when Honda is leaving McLaren. He knows it before Ron Dennis, before anybody. Because he's very, he was very well connected with Honda and Japan. He came to me and said, yeah, we're in the shoes because uh, 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 Honda is leaving McLaren. And I said, what are we going to do then? He said, well, I don't know. But, uh, so, so I did my dealing with Ferrari and I went Ferrari. And uh, one day when I said to Ayrton, listen, I have my solution. I'm going to Ferrari. And he said, well, that's a good idea. You go to Ferrari. There's a lot to sort out for the moment. And I come after. 
I say, you can be one thing sure, I'm never going to be in a team with you anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, that's the only thing I have in my contract, no sinner anymore. <laughs> so, joking a little bit, but, but it was this kind of conversation, say, no, 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 you stay where you are. You can so, but I know he was always waiting for a situation, for a moment, where he could see that Ferrari was good enough to, 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 to or that he will be able to win the championship. But it was his dream to end up with Ferrari to win, his champion, with Ferrari to win a championship. Yeah. Now, you mentioned there, obviously, you then returned to Ferrari for the 1993 Formula One season. And obviously, I'm, I'm not going to press you on the Ayrton stories, but you please can you tell those listeners who haven't heard about a small incident with uh, a Lancia road car and Jean Alesi. Because um, so I seem to remember you had a little moment arriving at the Ferrari factory uh, to see the new car for the first time. Is that right? Uh, yeah, kind of. Uh, there was the new car produced for, I don't know anymore which season it was, and we had the first race uh, two weeks later, I think, in Brazil. And the car was just put together in the, in the, on the pit in, in, in Maranello. There's the racetrack and the, the pit. They just put the last screws together. And it was the first time this car had to run. Sean Alesi was there, myself was there. Should run the car first time. And... So we went lunch and uh, and we've been both in the overalls and we went lunch and if you know Maranello, Maranello has uh, the racetrack on on one area where you have to go by car from the main office and after lunch I saw I wasn't with Sean Sean was his lunch we do, we met each other in, in in the office main office building and he says Gerd I come with you and I said no I come with you I don't have a car he said I don't have a car. And we just been in front of the offices, just looking, and I say, well, we have a car here. Look, there's a car staying with a key on. She said, oh, great. So, so he went into driving the car. I was sitting next. I put my seatbelt around because he was driving like um, flat out. And yeah, you have to go a bit through a normal road, and then you enter the, 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 where the main racetrack is. And there is the office of, Fry, of Mr. Fry. And then the next is like a normal pits where, where the cars are where the mechanics works in the cars and where the bit exit gets to the Maranello racetrack. And I started to play with the handbrake on the normal road and we go sideways and things and he got worse and he got flat out. I put my seat, I remember, completely back with the seat belt because I, I saw it coming that this is not going to work out well. <laughs> and, and then we passed this office of where, where Enzo Ferrari used to have his office and I put the handbrake on and the car, for some reason, just took off. Just start to fly and turn in the air and land on the roof. And it was a lunch here. It was like paper, you know. So the roof immediately <laughs> went to the seats. And we were sliding on the floor in the direction just where the mechanics were staying with the race car putting the race car. So we, we crashed into the pit wall about one meter of the brand new race car. The mechanic all jumped on the side. And me, the seatbelt, I was fine. I was still sitting in the seat like this, but Sean had no seatbelt on. So he, tur he turned him around. He was nose on nose with me. And, and then we wasn't a car. We, they couldn't get us out anymore from the cars because it was so, so deformed. So the mechanics put us out in a back, back window and uh, Sean was blooding and, um, and the face and that some, for some things in class in and whatever. And the most funny thing for me was in Maranello, there's an ambulance car. And the ambulance car, it's, it's based every test when a Formula One car goes since 25 years at the time, 25 years, every time two doctors with ambulance cars with an 
engine on has to stay next to the truck when a, if something happened with the Formula One car, if an accident happened, to have a first service. For 25 years, they had no work. This was the first work they had. <laughs> so, so they jumped on it, put <laughs> on the into the car, put the blue light on, and went to the hospital. So Sean <laughs> was gone, and I was by myself. So we took the car, we covered it, we put it a bit on the side, we cleaned the truck because all was full of oil and fuel. And the mechanics just checked the head all day long. So. Anyway, I put the helmet on and said, Oh, if Monte Semolo and Sean Dot is coming, we're going to be in trouble. So I thought the best is I do a race this time. I don't want to see anybody. I'm just going to stay out. <laughs> so anyway, when I come in with the helmet on, uh, obviously there was see already Sean Dot and Monte Semolo was looking, of course, to the new car. And then I put the helmet down and we spoke and they didn't, they didn't know about anything. They didn't, nobody told them. So at one stage I had to tell them that, and they got nervous when we Sean and, and they got very upset that we've been able to, to, to do something like this two, three weeks before the first race. And, but then Sean says to me, and where is the car? I said, the car is there. So you could see on a green field, the car just half meter high covered by a, a big, big Ferrari uh, 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 towel. And so he went over and he, he put it away and he saw and it was his car. He parked his car in front of his office to gear. <laughs> we took his car. <laughs> oh, my, does, does Jean Todd yeah, still mention He that? was very upset <laughs> because he didn't, he didn't find it very respectful. <laughs> does he still mention it now? No, we haven't spoken since a long time. It's so long time ago. But, <laughs> right. um, but the interesting thing was we could keep it quite quiet for the press because we've been all nervous for a moment that they're gonna, <laughs> the press is going to kill us to, to see us choking around. But anyway. Brilliant. Brilliant. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. Like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on LinkedIn.com slash people today. The, the, you know, the following year, um, you know, there was, you know, Ayrton's, Ayrton's death, but you, you also won Ferrari's first race since 1990. Um, you know, it's another kind of pivotal race for Ferrari. We've got a question here from um, uh, Adrian King, which is sort of slightly related, I guess, to your race wins. Um, he's asking, please, can you ask Gerhard in which year or years he felt he maximised his talent and what factors contributed to, the, to this outcome? Uh, for me, I, my peak was 1987. Uh, I felt very good on this turbo car. I liked turbo cars. Maybe something, I don't know which what it has to do, but uh, turbo cars for me was great. Uh, the, uh, turbo cars need a little bit of different line to drive. 
uh, you you break a bit in a different way into corners and and has to get a bit early on the throttle and and and, and it's not it's, it's a different line and I always liked it and uh, and and the car after we modified it a bit with some sidepods modification it came very much to my driving style and I was at the time I was 27 28 just perfect and I think it it I had a little bit of experience already the car fitted to my style and I think that that year I was on on maximum performance especially in Suzuka Adelaide Adelaide I had a very tough race against Ayrton in a very hot conditions so this was my peak from 27 then 28 I would be the same unfortunately we 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 uh, we did what we did in the Bobo Five, as I said before. And then in 89, I had my big crash. And after my big crash, I think I was there. I still delivered. But the, 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 the fun for risk, taking risk, was not in the same way than before. Mm. Well, it's funny. We've got another question here from someone called Dan R. Um, who just wanted a bit of insight into what it took to get back into the cockpit after that accident at Imola in, in 1989. Because... You know, I've, I've watched it on YouTube. Um, it is an enormous accident. You escaped kind of major injury, but it still must have been, um, as Dan says, physically and psychologically very tough to get back into the cockpit after that. Yes and no. Uh, what motivated me the most was that uh, typical Fry, they didn't think I'm coming back too quick. And uh, I remember Fiorio at the time uh, was team manager and, had, and he was a bit in love with Larini. And it was just great to put Larini in and give him the chance. And, um, and uh, so nothing wrong on this. I have no problem with it, but you know, we know it from Nikki and so on. I was in the hospital and, uh, and I said, well, you're going to be surprised how quick I'm back in my car. <laughs> and that's what I did. And that was my big motivation. But obviously I couldn't go too fast because I had really I had holes in my hands from, from, from the fire. And um, I had to, uh, I couldn't do it in, in, in uh, Monaco, but in Mexico, I was already there. And, 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 and yeah, it was, when I went in first time in the car, it was felt a bit strange uh, because the body realized again the materials of the overall and of the, of the fire underwear they realize a little bit like uh, we are back to where we've been when we've been in the fire. But it was, it, it was not a big thing. Hmm. Now, do you know, we're sort of nearing the sort of latter stages of, of this podcast. And I did want to talk about it because the second time you left Ferrari um, after the it was the 95 season. Uh, what were your motivations then? Because you went back to Benetton. Um, why the move to Benetton? And then also, when you retired, um, I think you had offers for 1998, but I don't think you, you weren't keen on the groove tyres. Is that right? And the V10s? No. You know, first I liked the turbo cars. The normal aspirate cars, I didn't like so much in the turbo cars. But not a big, big thing, you know. I never liked the cars with the narrow rear tyres. Because suddenly the cars in the rear was undertired a bit, and, and I was I was always a guy I liked the solid rear end and uh, and uh, and cope a little bit with understeer. So, but this kind of cars always has been the back uh, a bit tricky. But so the guys from karting they had a they, for them felt a bit more normal than than for us coming from the wide wheel rear end from 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 Formula One. But that was all not not the point. The point was first. Um, 
why did I go from Ferrari to Benetton? It was actually going back to leaving first time uh, Ferrari to McLaren. When I've been with Ferrari first time, I got a young engineer, name was Giorgio Ascanelli, everybody knows him now, he was ahead a long time career, career then in Formula One. He came out from the school, I didn't in the beginning, I wasn't so, so impressed to get a, somebody out from the school, but then it came an engineer who worked fantastic for me. It just felt exactly what I need from the car. He was actually a, one of the, well, maybe the first guy starting to, to put, uh, put number, wind tunnel numbers, uh, roll bar numbers, tire numbers into uh, uh, his, his computer and calculating setups and so on. And it, and it worked. A big part of it worked and it fit to my driving style. But I thought that's normal. And when I went to Ferrari, I was missing him. So I went to Ron Dennis and I said, Ron, there's one very good engineer in, 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 in McLaren, in Ferrari. I think we should get him. He, he would be a, a big ad for the company. And, uh, and I, I, I really worked fantastic with him. I would like to work again with him. Better. So he listened to it and said, okay, okay. One day Ron called me and said, Gerd, I have bad news for you and I have good news for you. What would you, would you like here first? I said, of course, the good news. He says, Ascanelli is coming. I say, okay, but what is the bad news? He says, he's on Senna's car. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you very much. So that was something where it killed me a little bit. That's where Erdogan killed me a little bit in the back. But okay. And then when I was again with Ferrari, Ascanelli was still there, but he worked as a kind of supervisor, engineer supervisor. And I was hoping to get him onto my car again. Then I realized Schumacher is coming. And I know Schumacher was extremely strong and was a guy not to underestimate. And I said, I don't want to do the same mistake again than I did with Ayrton. With Schumacher, I need to prepare myself in the best way. And for this, I need Ascanelli on my car. And I said to Ferrari, I said, listen, uh, I would like to get Ascanelli back to onto my car now, just onto my car. And I couldn't agree with Sean on this matter. I said, no, we need him over. And I could smell that if I'm not careful, it happened the same than, than it happened in McLaren with Senna. So then uh, at one stage, I said to myself, well, that's what, if this is not happening, I, I will go, I will leave. And that's what I did. Yeah. And uh, I mean, just... and that was the reason, that actually was really the reason why I left Ferrari to McPenel. Uh, yeah. And then in, in 90s, end of 97, when you retired, I think you had offers for 98, but. You didn't um, didn't take them up, and, and you were you yeah. Were no, you know the only for me it was clear to stop. The only thing I said to myself, if there would be a Mercedes possibility, McLaren Mercedes possibility, then I I should really consider it again. But this didn't get together, so so for me it was clear. Yeah. Fast forwarding to present day, what, what, in your opinion, you know, you, you are still, you know, you've got your fingers on the pulse in terms of Formula One. You, you had a 50% stake in Toro Rosso a sort of decade or so ago. Um, what is happening at Ferrari and why is it, you know, all teams kind of ebb and flow with their performances, but I always feel that Ferrari ebbs and flows kind of even more strongly. You know, they have a period of utter domination, like the Schumacher years, and then they'll have something like they have now where they, you know, struggling to get out of Q1. Well, you know, you need to be an insider or you need to be in the team to be really correct on what you're saying. Uh, 
I would say first, in the end of the day, as long in the time I've been in the business, just two guys really made Ferrari successful winning championships. Of course, you had a one-off in, in one or two times, but it was Nicky and it was Michael Schumacher. And I think also, and when I've been there, the big wish of Ferrari as an Italian team, it's always to try to perform to win championship with an Italian team, all Italians, and on performing as, as fully Italian. I say today is not possible. You need to guess. Formula One is so complicated, so high level. You need the best guy in the world. Wherever you find him, get him and put him in. It doesn't matter which nationality yet. In the end of the day, the win or the, the championship goes back to Italy anyway because Ferrari is Italian. Mm. And I understood a couple of years ago that it was again the new, from Macchione, that was the big wish, just, in, just doing it with Italians. So nothing, they are good, but as I say, in every spectrum you need, in segment you need the best. And when we, and, and I think this is a big mistake, and when we look back to Schumacher, you had the best was Ross Brown in his segment. He was English. Yeah. The best was Jean Dot in politic, politic uh, and, 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 and in, as a team manager. He was French. The best in the aerodynamic was Newey and, and, uh, and uh, Rory Byrne. He was South African. Yeah. The best yeah. driver at the time was Michael Schumacher, was German. Yeah. So, Sean put this all together and Michael was stealing the people left, right, wherever he got it. <laughs> you know? and, yeah. and, and they formed a fantastic international team and they got the success as they got it. Yeah. And, and that's the way how it works. Yeah. Second part of it, I have to say, is last winter, uh, FA published that Ferrari was not in the regulation. And, uh, and uh, they, it, it, it ne we never got any fully transparency on the, on, the, on the matter, but legally they've been not right. So, and you could see, when it was corrected, when FIA looked into it, all Ferrari cars, all Ferrari-powered cars went one second slower. Yeah. And if you, have this, if you have this issue for a while, it's the time when you, you, you stop development because you maybe fix it in a different way. And, and, and now they fall back, maybe one year, maybe two years, wherever, whenever they, they started to, to use different things. And that's tough because you now you need to catch up. You need to catch up. You need to find the right people. You need, it's 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 a difficult process. And I say, Ferrari will be much better next year. But yeah. will they be already on the top? I think it will. In the best case, it will be next in in three years. Yeah. Now, just just before we we wrapped up, I wanted to talk about the the DTM briefly. So got... just I I want just to tell you one thing more about it because that's my analyzing, but. I love Ferrari. My heart is Ferrari. And even if at the moment things are not working out well, I'm a supporter of them. I, I don't want to put any all into anywhere. I think we all, what Ferrari should stick together and should say, well, that's what it is. Let's hope they make the right decisions for the right people. And let's hope Ferrari soon going to be again a contender for, Formula, for the championship. Mm. I, think every, I think every motorsport fan in the world whether secretly or not, is a Ferrari supporter. Because it's, it's impossible to love the sport and not love the team. 
in, in inside the business is different because you have the competition. Yeah. But I, I agree with you. So let's say it this way. Maybe it's not the Ferrari fan, but you have very few people there really against Ferrari. Some are neutral and a lot of them are, are like positive and, 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 and love it. And it's and I always say, well, it's the, the core of our business. Yeah. So the DTM, we've got we've got a couple of questions here. We've got a we've got a um a very positive one and a very negative one. I feel like Ron Dennis. Um, but uh, so oh, let's, the, let's start this time with the negative one because last time was the positive one. one. So, so this, this is a comment from E Old Autosports. I haven't used their real name, but he's, he's asking whether you are accepting responsibility for leading DTM down a dead end um, and therefore, you know, just kind of making the championship sort of quite, quite difficult. Um, or is, does the blame lie elsewhere? And then the second one, which is the positive one. Um, let's, stick, let's stick first to the first yeah. one. Uh, I don't know that then we have a great, we have a great program for next year. I don't know what he's talking. I mean, we are changing technical regulation because our regulation, as much as I liked it and I supported it, I took it over. But I, I, as much as I liked it and supported it, it was just not possible to find manufacturers in this stage to invest development uh, into the development of this kind of regulation. So in, in some ways, yes, we, we run out of time. Uh, and, uh, and so we had to change the technical regulation. What was done already many, many times in the time of TTM in 30 years. So you had, uh, you had already crop five cars, you had uh, cars very close to road cars, you had uh, class one regulation, so different, and, and we're going to have again another regulation. But all the rest stays as it is. So I don't know what he means. Yeah. So well, this this other one is uh, someone else who hasn't used their real names. So they're just called LMP1, who's an Australian motorsport fan, and he long had an ambition to attend a round of the DTM. He did that at Zolder last year and was very impressed with the category. Uh, great cars and unique. With the change to GT3 base cars for 2021. Um, wh what have you got in mind to make DTM GT3 different from the other GT3 series? Yeah, it's very difficult. Good question, because I love this class one, because class one, you know, the, the, the cars, the race cars, SDI at the moment, they are really proper. I, I would say after Formula One, um, most, very impressive car, let's say this way. We, we did Spa a couple of weeks ago, and the cars was just I think four seconds slower than an LMP1 car. And so really fast <laughs> <That's> cars. <amazing. laughs> yeah. And, and, but unfortunately we, we, we couldn't go on as I explained before. And now the only reasonable good way was to, to take as a base, the GT3 regulation. Uh, what is a great regulation? I'm fine with it. The only downside of it's you have to work on BOP and for a sportsman BOP, it's always, a little bit of pain. But this is what we got, what we have. Then I would like to study it very careful and just see which modifications on this regulation can be done, maybe just to increase a little bit uh, the performance of the cars without, and that's very important, without spending extra budgets again. Because we have Corona, we have car industry what is struggling. At the moment, there's no room for, for, for big budget increase. So we're going to end up in, in a couple of medications, but nothing significant. So in the end of the day, you're going to see uh, GT3 cars fighting in an, in an 
uh, in a TTM environment with, TN, with TTM TNA. Yeah. So, you know, despite the coronavirus, the sort of economics of everything at the moment, you you kind of very positive and excited about, about the season to come next year in the GT3 move? Uh, yes and no. Exactly as you said, in general, yes, because we have a lot, a lot of interests at the moment with different brands. So I think we're going to have something strong. POP we have to handle, as I said before, going to be a bit of pain. Uh, but the main issue at the moment is to see what Corona going to do next year. Do we still have to fight Corona in some ways to raise without spectator? Because for us, the income stream on the spectators is very important. And also, the no fans. When I, when I went to the first race, I was okay because I said, well, that's what it is and to work, it's, it's okay. But after the third race, I got nearly a bit into depression, <laughs> staying at the starting grid, you know, nobody is here. So we need the fans back. The fans is, 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 is one of the, is the most important things in the, in the sport in general. Yeah. Well, Gerhard, I, I mustn't keep you because I know you have many, many things to, to get on and do this afternoon. But thank you so much for sharing all those Ferrari stories uh, with us over the last sort of 45 minutes, an hour. Um, thank you. And no doubt see you at a DTM round soon or, or perhaps in the Formula One paddock. Um, thank you all for listening uh, and for watching. I hope you enjoyed our first Zoom experience. It's certainly been a voyage of discovery for us at Motorsport. Um, so thank you to Alan and we'll see you all soon. Bye-bye for now. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.